Well, thinking about uh, all of those Christmas songs got me thinking about gifts and thinking about uh, uh, all of the, the gifts that I've been given over the years and some of the most special ones. I bet every one of you have a special gift uh, that could come to your mind, maybe many of those. I remember probably one of my most favorite and special Christmas gifts ever was right after Cindy and I were married. Uh, we, uh, the summer before we were married, we worked for Cindy's parents in their summer resort in the mountains of Colorado. And uh, one of my jobs was to uh, oversee the grocery store, gift shop, and gas station. And uh, in the grocery store, it was not a typical grocery store. It was in a mountain resort. And so we also had fishing equipment and some hunting equipment and all kinds of things that we sold in the grocery store. And we had these really cool hunting knives. I mean, they were like really, really good, really nice. And all summer long, I kept looking at one of these hunting knives, saying, man, I would like to buy that hunting knife. But I was saving all of my money to pay for her wedding ring and uh, to pay for a honeymoon and uh, to get started in life. And so I just uh, wouldn't do it. Several times I thought about it. I even talked to her dad once and said, hey, what's the best discount uh, you think you could give me as an employee and soon-to-be son-in-law? And uh, he, you know, he was, uh, he said, well, I could, I could pay the tax for you, Mark, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, that doesn't help me. But anyway, I mean, that's what, that's what I have the authority to offer to anybody. Come on, you know. And uh, we went through all summer and everything, and then we got married and in early December, we moved uh, to Dallas, Texas, and uh, we were uh, poorer than a church mouse, there's no question. Uh, we were putting all that we had, both of us working jobs, into just surviving and paying rent and utilities and all those things. And so Christmas was getting closer and closer, and I said, Cindy, uh, best we can do, each of us got 20 bucks to buy each other a Christmas gift, that's it. And uh, so here's 20 for you, and here's 20 for me, and do the, we're just going to do the best we can. And the greatest thing is we get to spend it together, and that's kind of it. And uh, so we took a particular day, and we went shopping, and uh, one of my nephews was staying with us at the time. He went with, went with us, and uh, so we got around to, to Christmas Day, and uh, we were ap- actually we were both sick on Christmas Day, and just we just laid in the bed for a while. Finally, we got up went over and, and went to the Christmas tree, and there it was, uh, this gift uh, from the 20 bucks, and I opened it up, and I thought, well, that is really cool. It was, a, um, it was actually a chess set, and I said, this is a wonderful thing. Uh, man, this is a blessing. I, how did you buy this for $20? She said, well, I didn't. Your nephew went in on it with me. It's from both of us, uh, and so it was a little bit more than that, and I'm like, wow, this is great, and uh, then I gave her my gift, and then we were just... I was about, about ready to just say, well, you know, someday we'll have a better Christmas. And so he says, oh, just a minute, I forgot something. And she went into uh, our bedroom and came back from the closet with another wrapped, wrapped gift and opened it up, and it was that hunting knife I had wanted. She had bought it way back and had told her dad, do not to give him any discounts. <laughs> In fact, raise the price if you have to. And uh, she had kept that secret from me the entire time, and it was a wonderful gift that I have. But you know what? The greatest gift is not something material, is it? The greatest gift is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He blesses us with so many gifts, gifts of relationships and other things. 
in life. But this, today, I want us to focus for a few minutes on one of the great gifts that Jesus has given us, and that is the gift of the Spirit Himself. Open your Bible with me to the book of Romans in chapter 8. While you're doing that, I'll remind you that this semester we have been looking at the Holy Spirit in the times that I have had with you. We have uh, began by realizing that, hey, we really need the Holy Spirit in our life. Uh, we learned that we need the Holy Spirit because He works in our lives before we were believers. In fact, He works in unbelievers' lives to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment to come, to draw us to that place of recognizing our need of salvation and then seeing the reality of salvation that is available. And so we saw that the Spirit works in the life of unbelievers. Then we saw last time that the Holy Spirit also works in our lives at the moment that we trust Christ. And we looked at several different things that Scripture teaches us about what the Spirit does for us in the very moment that you turn from your sin and trust Jesus as your Savior. But today we're going to look and begin actually today and then again on December 8th, we're going to look at things the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. You know, His work was preparing us to come to faith in Christ. His work included all those things that he, we talked about last time He did at the moment you trusted Christ. But folks, I want you to know that the gift of the Holy Spirit continues. He works in our lives as believers day by day. We desperately need His work in our life. And so we're going to begin looking at some of the things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives as believers. Now, notice what I said. I said some of the things, because uh, we would have to continue this series for quite a while if I was to tell you everything that the Holy Spirit does in our lives, and if we were to look at everything the Scripture teaches us about that. But uh, today, we're going to look at three things from Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit does in the life of the believer. And then next time, on the 8th of December, we're going to look at what I believe is one of the most crucial and the most misunderstood and overlooked things that the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. And so this time and next time are so crucial, not only to our understanding of what the Spirit has done for us, but what He continues to do in and through and for us day by day. So today, as we look at Romans chapter 8, it is a chapter that is filled with a lot of information. Uh, it's part of a section of Romans that begins in chapter 5 and verse 12 and continues through Romans chapter 8, verse 39. And in this section, he comes, he's coming to the conclusion of this section of Romans. And in this chapter, there are two particular paragraphs that we're going to look at today to understand three things that the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. We're going to read those texts first and then come back and look at the three things. So let's begin looking at verse 12 of Romans chapter 8. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Now I want you to jump down to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. But He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, there's a whole lot of stuff packed in these two short paragraphs of this chapter. And we will not take time today to look at all of the details of those and some of the things that we see introduced in the first paragraph we read, we will understand even better on December the 8th, the Lord willing. But as we look at these two paragraphs, there are three primary things that I want you to notice with me. And the first one is this, that the Holy Spirit leads believers who are surrendered to His will and to Him. The Holy Spirit leads believers who are surrendered to Him. That's what He begins talking about in verse 12. He says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. In this section of Scripture, he is teaching us that the children of God, believers, those who have trusted Christ... If we live a life surrendered to Him, we can be led by the Spirit of God. In fact, you cannot be led by the Spirit of God and not be a child of God is one of the true things that he says here. There are people who often have claimed to be led by the Spirit of God, and yet the things that they are doing are contrary to the Word of God. The Spirit of God will never lead you contrary to the Word of God. In fact, there are people who claim to be led by the Word of God who are not even believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They will claim some some experience, some burning in the bosom, some uh, emotional thing that takes place with them, and therefore then justify all that they do, saying the Spirit of God has led them, and yet they have never themselves come to a place of surrendering their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, if you are truly led by the Spirit of God, then you are a child of God. And if you are a child of God, guess what? You can be led by the Spirit of God. Now, very quickly, I want to show you three things that he teaches us about being led by the Spirit of God in these verses we just read. First of all, we are not to live according to the flesh. He says there that you, we are debtors not to the flesh. To live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, the, if by the Spirit you'll put to death the deeds of the body, uh, then you will live. Folks, I want you to understand that one of the things that gets us in trouble as believers is when we are more practicing 
the, the decision-making process of the world than a biblical decision-making process. See, the world gives us all these great ideas about how to make decisions. Uh, during my time of sickness, for the most part, uh, I, I told a, a few of you that uh, it so wiped me out Though this was what my day was. I, I would wake up and be kind of bored sitting in my chair, so I would put on uh, I Love Lucy, and I'd watch I Love Lucy for a little bit, and uh, I would fall asleep. Uh, there are only 30-minute shows, but I'd be asleep right away. And then I'd wake up, and, and Perry Mason would be on. Uh, and then uh, finally, uh, one time I woke up, I was so bored, I watched them set up the Christmas tree down at Rockefeller Center. I mean, for an hour and 30 minutes, I kept dozing off, waking up, and here they are. The tree looks like it hadn't moved, you know, doing all these things to it. And I told Dr. Williams and Vice President King that, and Vice President King says, you know you've had too much NyQuil if uh, Perry Mason is defending Lucy in court for stealing the Christmas tree. <laughs> so, so that was kind of what I was doing. I was just kind of in and out, you know, through all of this stuff. And a few of you came to see me and looked at me kind of strange because you could tell that I just wasn't, wasn't quite all there. But one of the things that we did a couple times is you know, I turned, I'm waking up and Cindy's got some Hallmark movie on, you know, especially right now, all the Christmas movies and everything. And I can't tell you how many times, just in the brief moments that I saw that, I, I heard someone say, well, listen, it's a tough decision, but just follow your heart. And that's what the world tells us. The world tells us just, I know it's a hard decision, but, you know, you got to make it, just, just follow your heart. And yet, folks, the Bible tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Folks, we shouldn't follow our heart. We've got to lead our heart. So that means we've got to be led some other way. I have seen the ideas that are out there. Well, get a piece of paper. I actually saw this on one of the movies last week. So get a piece of paper and write down on one side all the positives and on all of the other side all the negatives and the character said, no, I don't want to do that. And she said, okay. Her friend said, then I'm going to help you do it. And she gets out a piece of paper, and they start writing the positives and negatives of the decision that was before them. And, and then we try to think that somehow we can reason through that. Folks, you know what the problem with us reasoning through our decisions is? Is we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen by the end of the day. We can think that we have it all planned out, we can think that we understand every detail. We can have it all figured out in our own mind. And as soon as we start down that road, everything that we thought was going to happen does not. And every contingency we thought that we had in place falls apart. See, we don't know, but God does. We need to be led by His Spirit. We shouldn't be living our life according to the advice of the world. We shouldn't be living our life according to the flesh. The best that we can do in the flesh will let us down every time. So the first thing we learn about it is that we should not live according to the flesh. But secondly, we should live being led by the Spirit. The most direct statement in the verses we read comes in verse 14. Where, verse 14 where he says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Those who are literally pulled along, 
who are carried along, who are being led by the Spirit of God. Those are the ones who are truly the sons of God. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what you and I need. And that's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is so much on the lips of many believers who have been believers for a long time. It's easy to remind ourselves it's not so easy to do. The word of trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We're to not lean on our own understanding. We're to acknowledge Him in all our ways. And then He will direct our paths. And in the New Testament, we find confirmed here how He does that for us as believers today. He does it by His Spirit leading this, our steps. But folks, if we live according to the flesh, the best that man can do, the best wisdom of the world. If we live according to that, what is the end? The end is death. But if we put all of that to death and surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the leading of His Spirit, He will lead us. And we are the children of God. Now, there's a very interesting thing that he said right after that, and I don't want us to miss it. He said, these are the sons of God. Now, look what he says in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Isn't that what decision-making does to us so often? It just puts us in, in a bondage of fear. Oh, what if I make the wrong decision? Oh, no, what if I do this and this happens? What if I do this and this? Oh, no. And we just get caught up in that. But he says, listen, you did not receive that. This is something referring back to last time, that, that what we learned that the Spirit did at the moment of salvation. He said, instead, you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy, some would, some would say is a way to understand this. Daddy, help me. It's an amazing thing when a child trusts their dad and calls out to him for help. One of the most, one of the most difficult moments I've had of being a dad, we were going through our shed getting things ready to move from New Hampshire to, to Vermont. It was still several months off, but I started in the shed getting things ready. And Ben was out in the yard playing. We had a yard there just outside the shed, and he was playing around. And there was a, we had a, two septic covers in our yard. And uh, our homeowner association had just recently done some work on them. They came through, and they, they put new tops on. They used to have those big old heavy concrete tops, if you've seen those. But they came and they put these plastic lids on them. And I am stepping out of the shed. Ben's just running around playing, laughing. And he runs across that septic top and it flips. And he's gone. He's inside. It's about from here to the second row of where I'm standing as I see this happen as I step up to the edge of my shed. And I just, I dove like a football dive. And I dove half into the hole. And he's coming up out of the water. 
with this look in his eye I'll never forget of, Daddy, help me. And I grabbed him by the hand and lifted him up. Carried him into his mama to clean him up. I'll never forget that look in his eye. Because he knew he could trust his daddy to save him, to help him. To this day, we don't walk by a grate that he doesn't kind of look at and walk around it. But he knew he could call to his daddy, listen, he's saying, I want you to know that the Spirit adopted you into the family of God and made it possible for you to cry out, Abba, Father, help me. And he'll be there with his arms to pick you up. That's what the Spirit did for you. The Spirit of adoption is an amazing thing. Throughout the time we were preparing to adopt Ben, I, I wrote a, a weekly email called The Adoption Files. I would give a brief update on where we were in the process, but I also would do a devotional, and I would talk about things I was learning about my relationship to God from the adoption process. One of the amazing things that happened uh, to me and caught my attention through all of that, in the very early days, I was looking back at Cindy's adoption. Most of you know that Cindy was adopted when she was two years old. She was born in Seminole, Oklahoma, and her, her parents adopted her. They lived in Woodward, Oklahoma. And one of the things I was looking into about adoption in the early days and learning all about it, and I learned this unique law in the state of Oklahoma. In the state of Oklahoma, if you adopt someone into your family, you are legally bound to never disinherit them. Interesting. I said, hey, that's pretty good. You know, mom and dad get mad that Brian and Russ, they can just, they can just cut them out of the will. But they can't cut Cindy out of the will, according to Old Testament law. Or according to Old Testament, according to Oklahoma <laughs> Same thing, Old Testament, Oklahoma. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry, Oklahoma people in the room. <laughs> but according to Oklahoma law, they cannot disinherit her. Listen, you have received not a gift of fear and bondage, but when the Holy Spirit came into your life, He gave you the adoption into the family of God. And you can call on God at any moment in life. And that cannot be erased. It cannot be negated. Listen, the Holy Spirit can and will lead you. You just need to surrender to Him instead of trying to figure it out according to the flesh. There's a second truth that we learn about the Holy Spirit in this chapter that, that we must never forget. Number one, that, that the, the Spirit will lead believers when we surrender to Him. But secondly, the Spirit reminds believers that we do belong to Him. Picking up on that idea of, of adoption that we just saw, we, we begin to see in the very next verse what He tells us about this. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may be glorified together. Notice what he says. He says that the Spirit Himself 
This is what one of the things the Holy Spirit does in your life personally. He bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. He bears witness with you that you're a child. Now, does that mean that there will never be a moment in, in your own fear, in your own frustrations, in, in your own emotional roller coaster that you will not wonder if you're a child? No, it doesn't mean that. Of course you will. That is what we do in the flesh. And the, the Satan wants you to doubt your salvation because when you're doubting your salvation, you're not serving God. So he wants to immobilize you in that way. But listen, what it means is this. In that moment when that happens, the Holy Spirit is there to bear witness with you that you are truly His child. I want you to notice three things with me. First of all, that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. What does that mean that He bears witness? It actually is a compound word that means He is witnessing with. He is witnessing with you. He is actually uh, encouraging you. He's reminding you. And He Himself is adding to the testimony of your life that I really am a child of God. I remember in my preteen years, I was, had a particular segment of time, a couple of months, where I was struggling to really have assurance of salvation. Now, y'all know I'm weird. This was really strange. I'll show you how weird I am. I, 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 about two and a half years earlier, I had surrendered to the gospel ministry. And I knew without a doubt God had called me to preach. There was no question in my mind. And so how in the world I could sit there and doubt my salvation and know I was called to preach makes no sense to me. I told you I'm weird. I'm strange. But I was going through that. Looking back on it years later, I, I came to the conclusion that I was beginning to get opportunities to preach all the time. God was beginning to use me, and Satan was trying to knock me off of what God wanted me to do. But I remember going through that time, and for a couple months, I just kept, out of the blue, it would just hit me, man, are you really saved? Are you really one of God's children? And I finally, I wouldn't tell anybody. I mean, I was starting to preach in churches, fill pulpits, and Man, I, 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 what was I going to do? And finally, I couldn't stand it anymore. In the middle of the night, I got up and I went to my parents' room, knocked on the door, and I said, Dad, I need to talk to you. And he gets up and he comes to my, my, my room, and he must have sensed something was going on because he grabbed his Bible off the bed on the way out. And he came into my room, and turn, I turned on the light, and I said, Dad... I don't know why, but for a couple of months, I've really been struggling over my salvation. And he, was, he said, what? And I said, Dad, I, I just, I just got to be sure that I'm really a child of God. And, and you know, my dad was a wise man when it come to the things of God. He didn't say, well, that's stupid, Mark. Get over that. Go to bed. He didn't say, well, I know you're a child of God, though later he told me that. Do you know what he did? He said, well, Mark, come here. Come close. Come sit by me. I did, and he opened his Bible. And you know what he did? He walked through the Romans road with me. He just said, look, here it is. Here's the plan of salvation. Now, 
what do you think? And I said, well, I think I'm saved. And he said, no. Do you know you're saved? And I said, well, I think I'm saved. And he said, well, why not settle it right now? Do you believe this? And I said, yeah. And he said, then tell God you believe it. And, and we were sitting on the edge of my bed. I, I, I got down on my knees. Actually, my brother's bed because I, Dad would sit there while I sat on mine. I got down on my knees, and I, I walked through in prayer, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I believe Jesus died for me. Right now, I trust him and him alone. And, and do you know what happened in that moment? It was one of five or six times in my entire life that I felt like God spoke to me so clear. It wasn't audible, but it was so clear that it was, it was louder than audible. And it was just that simple statement. Mark, I adopted you back on that couch seven or five years ago. You are my child. That's his spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's an amazing thing the way God does that. He brings that to us. But He wants us in this text to understand what that means to be a child of God. Notice what else He says. He bears witness that we are children of God, but we are heirs. Now, it's cool to to be an heir, right? Um, I've always been looking for that rich uncle that... uh, had me as an heir so that I could, uh, you know, give all the money to NEBC. I haven't found him yet. I think I, uh, I think all my uncles are in heaven, but I'm still looking just in case. Um, but it's cool to be an heir. But notice what he says here. Not, not even an heir of, of Bill Gates or Donald Trump or some other billionaire. But notice what he says. You are heirs of god you're a child of the creator of all that exists and not only that but in case you don't understand the significance of that notice what he says you are joint heirs that means heirs together with jesus christ you see at the moment that you turn from your sin and trusted christ as your savior the holy spirit not only adopted you into the family of god but He actually made you an heir with Christ. And He is here to constantly remind you that no matter what else happens in your life, no matter what trials come your way, listen, if you lose everything, including the shirt off your back, it hasn't changed that you are an heir of God. And so much that you are joint heirs with Christ. Now, does that mean that everything in life is going to be great? You know, there are some people who say that, right? There are some people who say, hey, I heard it. I heard it very recently. And say, hey, you're an heir with Christ. Therefore, you've got everything. Everything's yours. You just got to claim it. I mean, wealth and health and everything, position and power, it's all yours if you just claim it because that's who you are. But notice what he reminds us in the text. Since indeed we suffer with Him, that we may be glorified with Him. See, in this life, we suffer with Christ. 
but one day we'll be glorified with Christ. We're not living for this world. We're not living for what this world can give us. We have a greater inheritance, and that inheritance is the inheritance that God has given us in Christ. We are joint heirs with Christ, and yes, in this life, Jesus suffered, and now He is seated in His glory at the right hand of the Father, and one day He'll return so that our suffering will end, and we will enjoy that heir being joint heirs with Him and the glory that the Father has prepared for us. Wow, what an amazing truth. The Spirit bears witness that these things are true of you and me. You know, Oklahoma law could change. Did you know that? They could, they could change the law. We see it happening all the time. Happens in states everywhere. We just changed some laws in this state for the worse. And that could happen in Oklahoma law. They could change that law about adoption. But you know what? The Bible tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no shadow of turning with Him. And if He has adopted you, you are adopted forever. And His Spirit will constantly remind you of that in the deepest and the darkest moments of your life if you'll simply look to Him and His Word. That's what His Spirit does in your life. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, leads believers who are surrendered to Him. The Spirit reminds believers that we belong to Him. And then finally, the Spirit helps believers in our weaknesses. Verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Listen, we all need help sometimes. Everybody needs help sometimes. There are some people who think, I don't need your help. I don't need anybody's help. I don't want anybody's help. And eventually something comes upon them that they recognize that they do need help. We all need help. We've all been in places that we needed help. <laughs> I've been stuck up in the mountains a few times where I wanted some help. <laughs> you know, where, somebody didn't come by. Nobody didn't come by where I was, trust me. We needed help. There are times in our life we need help just to get up and get dressed and go do what we need to do. We need help. In fact, Jesus made it very clear during His time on the earth that without me, you can do nothing. We need help. One of the biggest lies of the 20th century in the United States of America was God helps those who help themselves. And I can tell you, I knew a lot of church people that believed that was in the Bible somewhere. In fact, I argued with many of them. They say, well, that's what the Bible says. And I said, where does it say it? Well, it's in there, preacher. <laughs> well, chapter and verse, please. Well, I have to go look that up. Well, you go look it up and come back and show me, okay? Because it is nowhere in there. It is a lie to say that God helps those who help themselves. No, we need God's help. 
And we need the Spirit's help even as believers. Listen, if, if you just out of a heart of gratitude want to live the rest of your life, a perfect Christian life, because of all that Jesus has done for you, praise God that's your heartbeat, but you will fail. We cannot do it. As we received Christ, so we must walk in Him. We received Christ by grace through faith, and we can only live the Christian life by grace through faith. We cannot do it in our own strength. We need His help. Because folks, like it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, and isn't it strange, some people like to admit their weaknesses all the time. And others like to never admit their weaknesses. And most of us are somewhere in between. But the fact of the matter is, is we all are weak. One of the reasons I believe that Jesus loves me is still a favorite song of people of all ages is because it acknowledges that truth. I am weak, but he is strong. Listen, it says that the Spirit helps us. He aids us. In our weaknesses. Say, well, how does he do do that? Well, that's what the rest of that paragraph teaches us. He says, number one, for we do not know what we we should pray for as we ought. Listen, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses because we do not know what to pray. In fact, I think most of the time we don't know what to pray. Uh, We don't always recognize that. We, we think that, okay, God, this and this and this and this is what I want you to do for me or for someone else. We think we know it. But have you ever got to that place where you recognized you didn't? Lord, I don't even know what to pray. Well, I tell you what, through my life I've been there many times where I even recognized it. But the fact is what he's telling us here is, is that's the case most of the time, guys. Most of the time, we don't know what we should pray for. But the Spirit is there to help us. How? Notice what he says. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, folks, this verse is taken out of context and used and misused very, very much. I have heard all kinds of things. Well, that means that I don't know what to pray for, and so I'm praying, but I'm praying in the Spirit, and all of a sudden, He he tells me what to pray, and I pray it. That's not what this says. I've heard other people say this is a a special prayer language. I I, I can't even use my, my native tongue because it goes beyond words what to say. Well... Describe what's beyond words. I mean, God gave us language. But people will, will say that, and, and, and maybe they put syllables together, and they say that is some kind of prayer language that the Spirit gave them. But folks, that's not what this says. Notice again, carefully look at the words. See, we've got to learn to not read into the text, but just read out of it what it says. And what does it say? It says, the Spirit Himself not, the, not even hear the Spirit through you. There are places where it tells us that. The Spirit does things through us. But that's not what it says. He is actually emphasizing, no, this is not you praying at all. 
The Spirit Himself is praying for you. Now look what He says. With groanings, or the word could be translated sighings. Now look what it says. Which cannot be uttered. If it can't be uttered, it's not coming out of your mouth. That's what the text says. Yes, sometimes the Spirit guides us what to pray. That's not a problem. I get that. But that's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is talking about when we don't know what to pray, we even recognize we don't know what to pray, or maybe we don't recognize it, but the Spirit knows what we're praying is wrong, and so He actually intercedes in the midst of our praying and prays to the Father Himself for you. He intercedes for you. And He can communicate with the Father without words because He is Spirit and the Father is Spirit. They have a communication path that we will never understand fully. But this is not words or, or some kind of language. This is absolutely no kind of language at all that, is, that humans can even participate in. This is something the Spirit does as He speaks to the Father on your behalf. Now, let's learn a third thing about this. The Spirit intercedes for us, but look what He does. He does it according to the will of the Father. He already knows the will of the Father. Look at verse 27. Now, he who searches the hearts, who does that? Well, the Bible tells us the Father does. The Bible tells us Jesus does. So the Father and the Son searches the hearts. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. He already knows what the Spirit's praying because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God, according to God, literally. In other words, He knows what's coming this afternoon. He knows what's coming tomorrow. He knows what is best for you even when it is completely different than what you think is best for you. He knows the will of God and the Spirit of God is ever interceding for you. This is a present tense verb. It is a continuous action that is going on. Now, I'm going to throw in something for free real quick. All right, jump down in the chapter to verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's Christ who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of the Father. Now look what it says. Who also makes intercession for us. Present tense. Can I tell you something? You, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you have the two most powerful prayer warriors there ever has been or ever will be. The Spirit and the Son are praying to the Father for you right. What an amazing, amazing thing that the Holy Spirit is doing for you. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Have you ever felt alone? You know, I've learned you can be in a crowd of people 
and be alone. In fact, I, I've learned you can be surrounded by your closest friends and closest family and still feel completely alone. Maybe you're facing a decision today. You don't know which way to go. You've, got, you've sought advice. You've heard from different people. You've got the wisdom of others. But you feel alone because you know you have to make that decision. Those who've offered the advice, they don't have to live with the consequences of it. You do. Maybe you feel that aloneness. And listen, right now I want to invite you just in the quietness of your heart to say, Lord, help me not to lean on my understanding or to seek the advice of the world. But Lord, lead me by your Spirit. He will. He will. Trust Him. You ever felt alone? Felt like that you asked people to pray for you and you knew that they were trying to, but they just, they don't really understand. Ever just had that desire, man, I, 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 I try to pray for others. I just need somebody to pray for me. Listen, the Spirit's praying for you right now. He knows the will of God. He loves you. He knows everything that you're dealing with, every thought that you have, every difficulty in your life. And He even sees all the things you don't see. And He's praying for you. He's interceding for you. Just... Maybe you just completely feel alone. Feel like nobody could love you. Nobody could understand you. Listen, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, you have been adopted by the Spirit's work into the family of God forever. You are not alone. He has made you a forever child of God. Remind yourself of that. And ask the Spirit, Spirit, please just always remind me that I am a child of God. I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. No matter what is going on in this life. Father, you're an amazing God. We all are looking for what you give. Every person on the face of the earth is, but most are looking in the wrong place. Father, help us to always look to you. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you that you're there to lead us. Thank you that you have given us the spirit of adoption. We can cry out, Abba, Father, anytime. Thank you, Spirit. We are never without a prayer partner. 
because you and our precious Lord Jesus are ever interceding before the Father for me, for each of us. We praise you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we offer this prayer. Amen.